When you need to restore flow in an ischemic limb, there's no time to lose. You need the Pounce Thrombectomy System. The Pounce System from Sermonix is a purpose-built percutaneous device for removing thrombus and embolus in the peripheral vasculature. No capital equipment or aspiration needed. Just grab, go, and restore flow. It's simple. With the Pounce System, you place the basket wire distal to the clot, place the collection funnel proximal to the clot, pull back to collect the clot in the funnel, and retract the system through your guide sheath. The secret sauce? The Pounce Funnel is designed to macerate and dehydrate the clot, allowing you to remove even large amounts of material through a 7-front sheath. Visit PounceSystem.com to learn how physicians have used the device to accelerate on-table flow restoration while reducing use of thrombolytics. Pounce Thrombectomy. Strike quickly to capture and remove clot. This week on the Back Table Podcast. Um, for me, coming as an IR doc, some people are going to be like, why the hell would you join forces, you know, with a vascular surgeon? And I'll be honest, I mean, there, there's a huge benefit. Like I said, I got to see it firsthand in my fellowship, but I mean, at least it happens every single week where I do an angiogram on a case or I get access and I'm going through and I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is a great endo revast case. Um, I think we're going to end up jeopardizing future bypass options or treatment options. Well, then it's great for me as an IR doc, because I've got a guy right here as my partner that we go over cases all the time, go over imaging and say, hey, you know, from a, from a surgery standpoint, what would you, you know, what, your, what are your thoughts here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things IR and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, listening platform of preference. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, vascular surgeon Dr. Jim Melton and interventional radiologist Blake Parsons, coming to us from Cardiovascular Health Clinic in Oklahoma City. All right. So before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your floral guided interventions. See radpad.com for uh, more information. Contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And let them know you heard about it on the Back Table podcast. So let's get into the uh, the episode. Uh, my goal with this episode is to cover uh, pedal access and hopefully inspire others to learn how to do it, but also to talk a little bit about how IR and vascular surgery can successfully work together for better patient care and uh, possibly even a better uh, you know business or practice model for a lot of the IRs coming out of training, especially for the more clinically oriented trainees coming out of the, the new IR residency. So first off, I'm going to just ask you guys to give a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how an IR and vascular surgeon linked up to tackle vascular disease together. I'm going to start with you, Jim. And so we, um, my partner and I that uh, uh, started Cardiovascular Health Clinic, we we initially had, uh, we were the initial 12 guys in Oklahoma City that built uh, two gigantic heart, heart hospital systems uh, that were physician-owned and uh, partnered with uh Mercy Systems out of St. Louis, but, uh, and they, they were a decent partner. Uh, we did that in 2002 and, um, pretty much dominated the market with about, I don't know, 15 to 1600 pump cases a year and about 1100 open vascular cases a year and a lot of percutaneous work. So we, we, we pretty much done, we brought two, three different groups together from three different hospitals and, and did that deal in 2002. And then we built another one pretty much identical to that one on the south side of town. So, and that's, that's, that was that. But in 2012, 13, it, it became a place where if it makes any sense. Um, it became the place that we left, if that makes any sense, because it would just came too administrative heavy and couldn't, couldn't get your stuff done efficiently. Um, like we started, uh, you know, initially that's why we left and built the place. So. So in 2015, we left and, and, uh, built cardiovascular health clinic and, and, uh, um, what's been amazing, uh, you know, is just the ability to, 
to make this this hybrid facility a surgery center, a JACO approved surgery center, accredited surgery center, and uh, OBL um, has worked really well for our for our practice. Uh, uh, I'll let Blake talk, but Blake Blake contacted us in probably late fifteen or early sixteen, and uh, was. Uh, total surprise to me. I knew of his father because his father practiced in Oklahoma for a long time um, as an internist and uh, knew, knew of his uh, upbringings and, and reputation and all that. So I knew he came from good stock, but it was really strange to think that, you know, uh, an IR had the entrepreneurial vi vision that he had at such an early age because he, he didn't, uh, didn't want to work for a hospital and, and, uh, Man, it's been a it's been a great uh, marriage, if you will, together for our practice because he just adds so much uh, different skill sets and um, and uh, different uh, procedures that work perfect in the OBL space or the surgery center, depending on contract negotiations. So that's that's where I, I first met Blake himself was in probably late 2015. Uh, I was a little worried to about you know, the clinical skills of IR, you know, when I was working, they just, you know, they were proceduralist only. And when he got out of his fellowship, I was extremely impressed with his ability to run a clinic and, you know, clinically be sound as far as, uh, you know, deciding what patients need and, and also uh, politically correct, you know, with referrals and, and everything like that. So it's been a it's been a great experience for us and, and obviously looking to grow that side of the business with another IR too, for sure. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, I think spring, early 2016. So I did my diagnostic residency at OU University of Oklahoma. Um, I had, I guess I was right in the fellowship match. And so ultimately I was extremely fortunate to be able to match it um the medical college of wisconsin there um but i always i guess for some reason through my residency i always knew i wanted to have kind of a outpatient based practice i guess maybe like he said kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of the whole deal i had just kind of randomly during residency um, one of our techs actually got hired on here at cardiovascular health clinic and she said oh you'd probably be interested there's this vascular surgeon at a interventional cardiologist that built a place and, um, you know, kind of what you've been talking about. So I said, oh yeah, sure. This is going to go over well. So yeah, give me, uh, give me their email. And, uh, so she gave me Jim, Jim's email. I emailed him basically saying, you know, that they should hire me <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, sent him a bunch of CPT codes. I think about how much money I can make them. I don't know. I, I figured this was gonna not go well. So, but to my surprise, I think by the end of that first day that I sent, they'd already emailed me back and were like, hey, we're super interested. And we set up a meeting and, it, and uh, they definitely took a chance on me because like he said, you know, they had no idea really how this was going to play out. Um, I still hadn't even gone to fellowship yet. So they um, obviously I graduated from fellowship at MCW in 2017 and now we're going on three years here um, and it's been great. Um you know, like I said, I was very fortunate to go to MCW, which I believe is one of the top programs in the country, not only just because we did a lot of peripheral arterial work, but we did get um, a lot of exposure to clinic, like he said, um, did a lot of clinic work, um, and we just got a very broad uh, uh, view and training, um, got to pretty much do everything there. So when I got back um, and joined the practice, um, obviously being able to join a the guy's been doing it a long time and has a great national reputation and is, you know, one of the best surgeons in the nation. That's been awesome uh, as a mentor as well. And, and, uh, and well, I'm sure we'll get into it too. And kind of a, as a partner from a different specialty to be able to bounce things off of. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's interesting that, uh, that, uh, yeah, you had that foresight, Blake, to think that this would be uh, a good, you know, a nice partnership. The way I met you guys was uh, I was very fortunate to, to be invited to drive up from Dallas and um, and watch you guys because I was interested in learning more about peel access and watch you guys perform a number of peel access cases. Uh, and 
I was just really impressed by the facility and, and, um, the number of cases, the volume of cases, the, the variety of cases that you guys are doing, uh, just real quick, before we jump into the fuel access topic, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, how things are holding? Cause I was back in January, February when I drove up, um, how are things been since the, uh, the COVID-19, uh, pandemic? Yeah, so it's uh, obviously been been interesting. Our, our our number one goals as a business were to protect our employees and our patients, as everyone were, and uh, and so we we took you know policy changes immediately and uh, uh, did all the things that uh, everyone is doing with uh, temperature checks and uh, background checks as far as where you've been and if you've been sick and all that stuff for every patient. And we we also keep the families out in their cars and, uh, limit, uh, limit the, uh, patient's, uh, volume in the waiting room and all those kind of normal things. Uh, but we were, ins- we were kind of instructed through a separate call from, uh, administration of, uh, in Oklahoma to, uh, you know, they, they didn't understand our surgery center and what we offered and were very happy to hear that they could offload some of the hospital volume in a COVID setting uh, to our place and, and get it done in a, uh, an efficient manner, uh, the way we, we do it every day, but they, uh, so, so we haven't been down like most surgery centers. And that's the reason is because of the pipeline of business that we have. Um, those people continue, as you know, Aaron, they continue to get sick and they ignore their health because they're afraid to go to the hospital. And, um, we can, have numerous cases of people staying home too too long and, and having big MIs or or losing limbs because of uh, their their fear of, of the hospital. So so it's been uh, uh, you know the, the the governor and the state health department so people have really been supportive because of because of that uh, we're able to do PCIs we're able to do devices if they need them. And we're also able, uh, only emergent devices only uh, until the last week or so. But and also, obviously, our critical limb ischemia practices really haven't slowed down at all. Uh, Blake and I have uh, had, we just do obviously most of our practices gangrene and ulcers anyway. So that's what we've been doing, and and uh, hopefully making a difference in people's lives even in this terrible terrible situation we're in. So yeah, that's great. That. Um... You know, like you said, there's a lot of anxiety about patients, um, you know, going to the hospital. You know, I was trying to get a patient to get an IVC filter out and and he refused because he didn't want to go uh, to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot of anxiety about that. And so it's great that uh, you guys are able to offer that. Um, Blake, how about like uh, stuff like fibroid, uh, you know, you feed some of the more elective stuff. Has that been curtailed? Sure. Yeah. Us? Yeah, exactly. We stopped all true elective cases, um, you know, kind of on par with regulations. So just like you said, we've only been doing, you know, urgent, emergent type cases, emergent as you can be in a outpatient setting. But yeah, so mainly everything we've been doing has been peripheral vet on, on Gemini parts, been peripheral vascular work. So like you said, we do have a lot of patients with ulcerations and wounds. And so obviously we still have been going, um, have been uh, still performing procedures for those patients and trying to heal their wounds. Now, you know, clonicants and all those, no. Um, and that's a good time for them to continue doing their uh, exercise programs and, you know, conservative therapy. But uh, no, so we kind of, on the vascular side, it's all been pri- primarily wounds and stuff. Now for the other, like you were saying, uh, we have three interventional cardiologists that are partners at our clinic as well. So that's kind of what he meant by still being able to do coronary stuff. Um, yeah. And, and screenings and procedures for those those people. Yeah, and I forgot to mention that that is the other unique thing about your center is, and, and Jim, Jim talked about it at the beginning, is just having cardiology, vascular surgery, and IR all under the same roof. You yeah, know, we have three people that hate each other also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I imagine the the level of health uh, of patient care you're providing is is um, unparalleled, you know, in other parts of the country where there's a lot of turf wars. Um, you know, I just, I just think collaboration is, is the way to go in terms of better care. And so hats off to you guys for making that, making that happen. Um, and so anyway, let's delve into the, the topic for today. Um, you know, 
like I said, I learned a great deal from you guys when I came up there. Um, but just, I want to take a step back before we get into the details of, of technique of peel access and, and ask uh, Jim, what inspired you to first start trying peel access? Since it is a relatively you know, newer technique, um, how did you learn it and how long did it take you before you felt comfortable? So over at the heart hospital in 2013 is I just, I started sticking like if I was going to try to get through a, uh, TO with an ulcer of an SFA or something that, and I got tired of not getting all the way through it or even trying, you know, even being able to, uh, get past the, the, uh, proximal cap at all. Uh, and so I just started sticking pedals with ultrasound guidance, which as you know, I mean, a vascular surgeon's uh, interventional radiologist is the best by far at that, uh, no questions asked period. And then, so, I mean, it was a skill I had to learn. And so I learned that and I uh, just stuck just small needles and put a wire in just so I could know I could do it. And then I got then I said, well, you know what, I'm gonna, let me try to get through this distal cap. And it, it just became uh, very obvious very quickly that uh, distal caps are so much softer than the proximal caps. And a lot of times you just fly up with not a lot of uh, uh, product uh, cost involved. And, uh, and you're able to save a bypass for another rainy day. So I think that, you know, at the end of the day it was... Um, it was that that really got me started. And then we just started sticking more in 2014. And then I left in 2015 and, and our center is, you know, my practice alone, Blake's is a little bit more, uh, he, he does, a he does some crazy IR stuff that, you know, I don't, I don't do sometimes, but he, my practice is probably 98% pedal, you know, I hardly ever stick a femoral or anything. So uh, so that's mine. And, and so that's from 2015 to present. And I think Blake's practice is starting to reach that too, whether it's BK disease, SFA disease, or three level disease, including the iliacs, we, we just feel a lot better with, uh, uh, just multiple things. I mean, we're, we're trying to get a paper out for the radiation dose, de uh, decrease is, is gigantic, uh, going pedal, uh, contrast usage is markedly decreased going pedal and so and the put through as aaron said earlier a put through of actual patients uh, goes up about 2.6 per day if you do all pedal as opposed to femorals yeah yeah it was impressive how many cases you guys were knocking out but that day i was there um and and so blake what was pedal access something that you learned in fellowship um and maybe along those lines tell us a little bit about how the transition was from fellowship to, you know, working with Dr. Melton. Sure. Some of the yeah. stuff you picked up. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So, you know, like I said, we were, we did a lot of, um, peripheral arterial work. Uh, we were fortunate and kind of, this kind of goes back to me working with a vascular surgeon and that at MCW, you kind of worked hand in hand with the vascular surgery program there. So I'd already had previous relation and saw how it worked during fellowship between vascular surgery and interventional radiology and it was great you know and so i kind of knew all oh, this is this is awesome because i'm going to be able to take this same thing the same approach uh, the same ability to work at patients you know bounce things off of each other back uh, to my practice uh, we did i would say we only did a, a handful of true retropedal or what people call tammy cases most of it if we you know when we stuck uh, tibial arteries it was because you're doing a safari or something of that nature um, so, you know, and I'd talk to Jim on the phone and he'd be bragging about how many <laughs> retropedal cases he's doing and giving me a hard time. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, sure enough, I got back and, you know, my practice obviously was slow at the beginning, just trying to get the general public to understand what the heck an interventional radiologist is, is just part of the battle. But, uh, so yeah, I'd been, you know, I'd scrub into cases with him and watch him do cases. And sure enough, he was, I mean... He, uh, a lot of retropedal access, um, and, um, just saw the ease, the decrease in time. I mean, we're talking complex multi-level leg, maybe an hour and a half, typically, um, like total time. I'm not talking floral time, obviously I'm talking total time of getting in there, doing the case, significant re, 
uh, reduction, like you said, in your contrast dose, patient dose, because you're not having to go up and over. You're not radiating the pelvis as much. So, um, yeah, I became a believer. And then obviously as my peripheral work increased over the past three years, um, I've, I've, like you said, I probably do 95%. Now there's still times I'll, I'll go integrate femoral or SFA or, you know, up and over femoral. Um, if I know it's all, you know, pedal below ankle or pedal loop or something like that, that I want to get a better vantage point to, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I also, um, go retropedal from the, from the foot. So, yeah. So I guess to clarify for some of our audience, um, you know, like you said, you, you're talking about safari technique where you're still getting access in the groin and, and in the foot. Um, did you, would you mind clarifying that? Like what, what you guys are doing, you're just solely getting access in the foot in the majority of cases rather than getting dual access, right? Sure. So we call it retropedal. I know the other name out there, everyone call, call it is Tammy that you hear a lot. But yes, we're talking single access within a distal tibial artery, a PT or AT, sheath placed, and then all treatment is done from that sole uh, tibial artery access. Uh, and uh, we're able to, like you said, accomplish that probably 95% of the time. So, I can, okay. Aaron, I can tell you, my, my practice, since, since we opened in 15, I haven't done one safari one. I think, I think Blake's done a few just because of the extent of the disease or whatever. But I think that that's pretty rare. Pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. So let's, let's go into how somebody, how you guys approach a case. And, you know, the majority, of your case are being done via peel access because you guys have the experience and, and the confidence. But for for somebody maybe new or, you know, you guys get a lot of visitors that come through and, and watch you guys. And probably a common question is, what are the big contraindications to peel access for you? Yeah, so it, when when docs come and, uh, and come to the center and, and we have the opportunity to, to hopefully help them and give them a good, you know, uh, a good time while they're here is uh, we 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 try to go through some of that stuff, but I mean, uh, it it all starts with a really good clinical exam, and that's what again I was uh, I was a little worried about with uh, not Blake, but IR in general. But uh, Blake, like I said, he came from a program that had that, and it was really a pleasant surprise. So the, the a good clinical exam with a handheld Doppler in the room, trying to trying to figure out you know, where these lesions are is, is really the, the, the coolest thing that I do in clinic. I mean, I, I kind of walk out and exa- and I know pretty much exactly where this lesion is. So, so a good clinical exam. And then I, I also tell the docs that come that haven't done much pedal to go ahead and do a duplex below the knee and, uh, you know, visualize that the AT and PT, you know, is open. Um, so it makes them feel a little more comfortable sticking it and, um, or the inner osseous, any, any of those three vessels. But I think that, that, uh, that's probably the best thing. And, you know, your first 100 cases or so, I would probably stay away from one vessel runoff. Um, Blake, uh, and I both still to this day, still do that a little bit. We probably, if we think it's a one vessel runoff case, we'll probably do, uh, uh, diagnostic first with either a little anti-grade dilator or something like that, or an up and over small sheath, and then decide whether we want to go primary pedal or not. But uh, pretty rare on that. But I think that at the end of the day, once you get some under your belt, you feel more comfortable doing one vessel runoff also. Uh, but, you know, I think that that just comes with, you know, comfort level and experience as you go going down the road. I think it's a really good way to to recanalize a lot of vessels below the knee that are totally occluded, uh, with, with the selection of wires, you know, um, that, that we try to show docs as they come, uh, to the course. But, uh, I think it, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's good for all three levels below knee, below knee, obviously SFAs that have never dreamed of gotten hidden through and then, uh, inflow disease also. Yeah. And so the, for the, for, and a lot of your patients obviously are CLI patients, you know, guys with wounds, um, anything in terms of like where the wounds located, or do you worry about the access itself causing a wound? We like to, to try to, to identify the wound, you know, in the certain angiosome for sure. 
and try to figure out, you know, which vessel is important to healing that angiosome. So that's, that's part of that clinical exam, uh, deal on the front end. And, uh, we, we try to cover up all the wounds, uh, on the prep, on the patient with, uh, uh and prep, prep them out, uh, if you will, and, uh, try to, try to obviously stick away probably over 2,500 cases, you know, CLI cases now for sure. Probably I've never seen a wound caused by the perk stick that, uh, didn't heal or anything uh, to date. Let's walk through a typical pedal access case, assuming decent vessels, you know, you know, whether you, whether it be, you know, AT or PT, where do you like to stick for your peel access? Yeah. So first off, obviously we're obviously using ultrasound. So from an ergonomic standpoint, the PT is a little easier, uh, to work with, but obviously that it all is just based solely on which angiosome we're kind of going after. What's their kind of preclinical evaluation of what we think is open uh, prior to getting in there. You know, you can always be fooled by little distal collaterals that reconstitute the distal AT, PT, DP, and you, you get a monophasic signal and you think it's open, then you get into the case and it's not. But, um, so it just kind of depends. Uh, AT, obviously distal AT, um, PT, um, usually around the ankles. Uh, just kind of depends where we'll stick a DP more distal. Um, obviously you're a little limited more on your sheath size if you think there's more proximal disease. Um, but uh, and I'll even, you know, like he's saying, if there's a single, if, if I know, I'm pretty sure that he's all, they've only got, say, a single vessel AT to the foot and that I can't hear a signal in their perineal or their posterior, then I'll sometimes even just try sticking their occluded vessel and see if, you know, how hard the plaque is because what the worst, I'm not going to hurt it. Obviously, it's right. already down. So I'll stick it and then it's kind of like a freebie. I can, as long as I can get up through that, then. I can get up and fix everything from there. Um, so yeah, it just, it just depends a little bit of it is, you know, we do have a pretty good idea before we ever step into the room, but obviously you got to adjust on the fly some too. Yeah. And so once you get access, what, uh, to walk us through a little bit, like, you know, your step-by-step in terms of micropuncture set, um, sheath size and uh peel cocktail. So we, the the Tarumo glide sheets were was what we used when we first started uh, pretty much exclusively and you know we found that those those are really good sheets obviously they're uh, high end sheets high end company very good company but I think that at the end of the day they they're not braided as as much as you really need for pedal because they they kink a lot this doesn't keep you from getting the case done you just have to use a dilator a lot to back in and out in and out but. I think at the end of the day, we, we found a marriage sheath and now there's a board sheath that's, uh, are braided, uh, the board sheath's marked really nice on the tip and merit sheath is, uh, is a really good sheath too. It comes in a seven and a 10 centimeter length. Um, the bar goes all the way up to 90, I think, but, uh, we don't use long sheaths. Wow. We just use short sheaths in the foot, but. As soon as we get in a micropuncture set with a short needle, we all, we use short needles instead of the long ones. So just a little bit easier to not come out of the vessel when you're, when you hit it and then, uh, you're trying to get the wire in, uh, hydrophilic type wire is usually better with a little bit of support on the back. Uh, all the micropuncture sets are a little different. So you kind of have to find the one that's a sweet spot for you. Um, and so, uh, once we get in, we, we put, uh, either a Depending on our clinical exam, what we think is going on, we either put a four five or a five six uh, merit uh, or Tarumo or Bard sheath in, and then we uh, put a cocktail in that's uh, about uh, four hundred units of nitro and three thousand units of heparin uh, is what we use. I we just haven't seen any advantage in using any other uh, drugs in there like they do for a radial cocktails. Yeah, we don't put for so I think that's, that's our cocktail. And then we, uh, usually take a shot with either very little, you know, literally, literally three cc's of dye below the knee. And then, uh, we, uh, we go after it as far as what the, what the, uh, clinical findings are and what we think, uh, we're, we're going into, which is most of the time, very ugly vessels. It's welcome to the South. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, well, no, I was just going to, from there, you know, I mean, really, there's definitely certain wires. Everyone's got their 
particulars based on that initial shot um, of, you know, is it all baloney? Is it involving more proximal and the baloney is not too bad? Then that would kind of depend on what size system we go with, like with an 035 right off the bat or an 018, you know, so we're going to start with an 035 glide. Or am I going to start with like a 018 command uh, wire um, and then obviously take it up from there? We'll, we'll get wire excess all the way into the aorta. Um, and then depending on patient's creatinine and those things, we'll either do, uh, an angiogram through the catheter back down the leg, um, as well as obviously we are very strong, uh, beliefs in using intravascular ultrasound. So, um, that's kind of our next step is then intravascular ultrasound. Not only we can see the extent of lesion, but also so we can see, uh, you know, get appropriate size measurements for vessels uh, for both angioplasty as well as uh, potential stenting and plaque morphology so we can decide what type of, uh, if we need to, what type of atherectomy system uh, to use. Because we're, we're fortunate enough here, since we're not in a hospital system, we get to pretty much have all the bells and whistles that we want. And so we have a, a lot of uh, options that we can tailor to each patient's uh, condition. Any, any pitfalls to getting access, anything that you experienced a lot early on that you kind of was able to work out that you could suggest for uh, a, uh, a young guy trying this? So I think for IR guys, you know, it's not really much different than sticking a radial artery. Um, you know, obviously there's a huge radial first movement. So most IR guys have are doing a lot of stuff from the wrist. And so, um, it's not much different, both from a, a depth, from a depth standpoint. Now, and the, you know, posterior tibial, kind of the more proximal up the leg you get, and depending on the amount of calcification in the artery, it can get a little more challenging because that thing's going to roll around on you quite a bit. So on that, you know, it just takes, takes some practice. Um, ATs are a little easier because you got the tibia right underneath it, so you can kind of pin it to it. But um, but definitely, you know, the more calcified the vessel is, it's going to give you a little more challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just practice and, and having and developing, if you don't have them, then developing, you know, good ultrasound skills, actually seeing the needle tip, actually seeing the needle tip enter the, you know, the artery, not just watching tissue move and hoping that you're, you're over the top of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, and if you could get a lot of tumescence in there with the local, it sometimes stabilizes that calcified vessels that you can, it doesn't roll on you as bad. So. That's uh, a little bit of a trick sometimes. Yeah, I remember one of my first ones I did, the thing I was worried about because the the, the DP was so um, diseased and I kept going higher and higher uh, into the, you know, ET. And, and I was starting to worry that if I had, I could cause compartment syndrome or something if, you know, if my access site was bleeding. Is there anything, any words like that are going too high in the ET or PT? Yeah, I mean, the, you can have, a, I've had uh, one compartment syndrome out of all those cases that I just fixed here at the OBL, local anesthetic and stuff, and did a fasciotomy, and they did fine. It was AT distribution. So it's always a little concern. Uh, you, you have to just clinically watch. Uh, I don't think it really has much to do, because if you go halfway up the leg on the AT, the other halfway up is about the same depth. So we just try to stay that halfway down on AT. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of like other potential complications, you know, uh, dissection, spasm, and we just mentioned, you know, basically rupture or bleeding. Are those, are you finding those less, con you know, very rare? Um, is something to be you know, obviously careful about, but uh, any, any suggestions to, you know, help prevent spasm dissection? Sure. So kind of like you're saying, I mean, we use nitro pretty liberally around here, um, both on your initial stick and our cocktail, but also on the way out. Cause you will, you'll get some spasm in the artery that you accessed. Um, and then there's times, I mean, you'll say you pulled the sheath and they're holding pressure, um, and you come back and their foot's not looking super great and you try to put a Doppler on it and you're not hearing much, that's because you get spasm right at the access site. And most of the time you give it 15 minutes, come back and their foot's bright, you know, perfect blow and you got a bounding signal. If you ever have a little issue, I've had maybe three times where I put a little nitro paste over the top of it um, and where the access site was and same thing. 
15, 30 minutes later, patient's doing great. Pulses are great all the way down into the toes. So um, uh, other than that, I haven't really had had too much of an issue. Um, obviously, we have a ton of ESRD and um, diabetes patients here. So a lot of calcified uh, disease tibial tibial arteries to begin with. Um, and so they're pretty, pretty rough <laughs> just from the, yeah. you know, so, um, but no, we haven't from a dissection point, um, not really, not, unless we're purposely, you know, we try not to go subentimal can, um, and especially the tibials, I still feel like they stay open as long. Um, but sometimes it's inevitable and, um, but like most of the time you're able to, you're able to cross central luminal and, and stay intraluminal. Yeah, so getting into what the capabilities are, um, you know, obviously angioplasty is, is being done below the knee, but um, tell tell me a little bit about um, what kind of atherectomy devices you're doing from pedal access, what uh, and and also even stenting. I mean, I, I saw Jim stand at iliac, uh, a common iliac from the the pedal, which was pretty impressive. Um, but just I want to get into like the capabilities of what you guys are are doing. Yeah, so there's really not a lot of devices that we can't put through a five, six, uh, either one of those uh, three brands of sheets. So um, we, we uh, below the knee, we, we again look at plaque morphology with IVUS. And depending on what that is, if it's more thrombus and less calcified, we'll use a laser, either a 0 0.9, 1.4, 1.7. All of those go through a 4.5 French and a 2.0 goes through a, a 5.6. Uh, so in the appropriate size vessels, uh, are, are, you know, listed, uh, listed for those. So, and that same thing applies for the SFA, uh, as far as atherectomy goes, we, we have, uh, CSI devices, we have, uh, Phoenix or, uh, Spectronetics Phillips device. And, um, those are the rotational atherectomy devices we have. And then we have laser for, uh, we have the laser, uh, 2.0 and then the laser that uh, has the tip that uh, moves around a little bit better for ISR. So, so we have all those uh, tools in the box, and uh, uh, which is, you never find at a hospital. So, I think those are it's always good to have whatever you need. I think that we uh, for iliacs we we are obviously extremely careful. I think we have a very low. Uh, uh, complication rate in our space because of IVAs, and we measure those uh, specifically. We don't over dilate, and we are always ready uh, when we're doing an iliac. Uh, we're always ready to put a six seven trumo glide in, um, or uh, yeah, trumo glide in, and be able to take a seven BBX in at any time and dial it up to you know at least twelve if needed the iliac. So. So those are things that we have done, and uh, we we are uh, ready to do with just uh, a quick uh, little uh, sheath change and uh, fluid support until we get there to fix it. So I think those are all things that you have to be ready for in this space. And uh, if you're, you know, if it's important that if this space is going to survive, you know, you have to be ready for those kind of things uh, in order to take uh, the best care of patients. And and so when you're getting when you're putting those larger sheath size in uh, sizes in, are you are you keeping an eye on the clock and kind of making sure that you know you, you don't have that that pedal artery occluded for for very long before you you know decide to change access sites for whatever you're doing. Well, I think you're going to find that arteries occluded regardless, right? Five and because you'll do or, you know a shot through the sheath and you'll get collateral flow distal to the sheath that you can see that's still open. And that's what we're obviously monitoring heparin, what, you know, how much heparin we're given during the cases and all those, and, and as well as the nitro and all that, um, trying to minimize any kind of, uh, throttle because we're, we are, we're definitely, you're going to be inclusive, especially when some of these vessels, you know, average size is probably a three and a tibial. And so and they're a hell of a lot smaller than that. Whenever you first start sitting and highly calcified. So. Yeah, uh, you're going to be inclusive now, and and like you said, so when we know or we have, you know, we know there's going to be inflow disease. Pre release for me, half the time I also I have a prep the groins just as well, and that <clears throat> just in case emergency, we have a whole pack 
team knows everything that's going you know, if we have a concern for any kind of rupture, we've got everything already waiting, ready to rock and roll, um, where we can get, you know, get that thing care of. Luckily, you know, we haven't really had any issue with that. Just like you said, you know, I know the iliac thing freaks a lot of people out, especially trying to do it from the foot. Um, but you know, if it's a case that's really high risk, heavy calcium, super stenosed, um, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to, you're going to crack something and have an issue. Well, then, you know, at least for me, that may not be the case that I'm going to do here. I'm going to take it to the hospital. I'm going to make sure that, you know, we have the support we need and, and, uh, you know, get femoral access still and, and you know, do that. So we're not complete gunslingers. Still, we, uh, right. We still are, you know. So the patient's health is still always the forefront of what we're doing and making sure that what we're doing is safe. We're following plaques really important. I think to the the end of the day, we have a really large series of, you know, TOs, iliac TOs that are, you know, easily fixed from the foot. And uh, I'd like to get that published sometime soon. I think that it's... uh, it's just, it's a great, it's a great way to keep somebody from having a fem fem that, uh, gets infected. Uh, you know, it's, it's a nightmare in my world. So I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's a great way to fix people if you can get it done. And, and we don't hesitate to pull out, uh, re-entry devices, uh, which are our re-entry device of choice is a pioneer device. So I think we, uh, we're very, we have a low threshold for opening that device also. Yeah. So once you've, fixed the lesion um and uh, t- just talk us about everybody knows how to close you know groin access um how do you close pedal access and and talk us through you know recovery for the patients how long they're sitting in recovery because i do think that this is one of the the you know the best benefits of pedal access sure yeah so i think both of us we typically give a little nitro before uh, at the very end of the sheath you know at the very end we'll do obviously a retrograde run through the sheath make sure still the tibials look good and everything's nice and open and then uh we typically give some nitro just for dilatation purposes and then i would say the mass majority of the time uh, they just hold pressure um so we'll take the patient back to the room um the nurse will then uh pull the sheet there and then we're continuously monitoring monitoring with um while pressure's being held uh, with doppler distal um making sure that you know that we've got flow just like if you were holding up pressure on a fistula or something we obviously don't want to be occluding it so um but and then after that you know pressure's probably held 15 20 minutes at the most and then um those patients really we start kind of dangling their leg off the bed at about an hour or so, hour and a half. And then uh, most of them are out the door within an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, it's usually a 90-minute protocol we have. And uh, obviously put your, you know, that's, um, they're, most of them are ready to go in 60 minutes. Uh, and they're, the thing of the beauty of it too is when they come back, we've, they've, they've ordered their box lunch from, from the <laughs> down the street and, and uh, they're up eating. They're not laying flat on their backs and uh, a nurse holding pressure on their groin. So they're they're sitting up eating while either there's a radial band on the on the uh, fetal site or there's two finger pressure with uh, documented distal flow. And I keep talking about these papers, but uh, we're getting there with private practice, so it's kind of hard to to hard to compete with the ivory tower. Got a really nice paper of. A look at uh, 400, 400, almost 500 cases that uh, we did duplex on post-pedal and proved that, uh, you know, the waveforms, distal, the stick site were all really good. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what people really want to know. Uh, yeah. If this procedure is safe and, uh, right. and we, we intend on proving that, so. Like many others, I was I was scared to do more harm than good with this, with the whole pedal access thing and, and especially working in the outpatient setting, um, you know, it just seemed to have so many benefits. And, and I hear, I hear, I've heard stories of patients who've had both pedal access and femoral access and, you know, they come back to see their, uh, doc and they might need another invention there and they literally demand, you know, pedal access just because of the, you know, their patient experience is so much better. Um, and so I think for an outpatient setting, just, it, you know, it just has so many benefits. And, but 
you know, getting started, I, w- I was, I didn't want any bad outcomes. So I was very particular in terms of my case selection. Um, and the best starter case for me personally was I, you know, was an obese patient, kind of a hostile groin and, you know, had isolated, you know, tibial disease. And it, it just, you know, it was, it was easy to get in. Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it was relatively easy to, to get in, you know, balloon angioplasty, uh, you know, get, you know, do by post-injection and, and, and be done. And, um, and, and so I think that that's, to me, was the ideal case to start out with. Do you have any suggestions on, on people who want to get started or maybe a little bit hesitant? Yeah, I was, uh, those are just, you, you nailed it, Aaron. I think at, at the end of the day, those people that are, you know, there's, they're just high risk to stick a groin and, you know, they're, the radial's uh, an option if you talk to Tarumo, but man, radiation the radiation difference is uh, drastic, to say the least. But um, I think that at the end of the day, uh, you know, your ideal candidates for your first cases are two or three vessel runoff and a total SFA with an ulcer, you know? Those are your best ones to practice on. So, um, you know, the below-the-knee disease is is good uh, there's a lot of techniques that try to teach with the doc's tum about uh, up and over from pt to at or at to pt or uh uh either one and so we 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 do those also without sticking or growing but uh at the end of the day the best the best cases and the most satisfying cases are the ones you can't get through from the top but you just fly through them from the bottom and you've healed up an ulcer. So those are really good cases. Now, you know, when you're a critical limb ischemia uh, center of excellence, or you, or you, you know, that's what you want to be, uh, you, you don't see a lot of those. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, those are really good cases to practice and, and get a lot of confidence with. Yeah, and, and so what do you guys do about, you know, pedal loop revascularization? Um, are you going up and over from AT to PT? How, how are you guys handling those kinds of cases? Yeah. So a lot of times, just like you said, we'll either if you stick the AT or PT, we'll then go up and over and down the opposite, all the way down into the foot and into the pedal loop. Um, now if I key it or, you know, there's for some reason, this, their anatomy, it's too steep, whatever you get, you just can't get a good uh, mechanical advantage on it. Then, you know, then I'll, that's one I'll. I'll probably stick the patient anti-grade um, femoral or SFA and then income that way. But most of the time we're able to to do it from that PT axis and uh, come up and over and treat everything from that. You talk about the collaboration, you know, I mean, I, I knew what a microcatheter was, but you know, that seems like cheating now that like you roll those things. So, I mean, there's like, it's really easy to get, even with steep angle stuff, it's really easy with uh, if you've got the right microcatheter and the ability to shape it uh uh to do to do that technique so um those are uh those are great uh great things that i've learned from from him you know as far as uh, uh yeah and we found some certain catheters that make it easier to get because a lot of people say well how the heck am i going to get you know up and over so we have a 90 degree berenstein that um will clip make it shorter um, we also i'll use like a sauce and i'll just cut the um cut it off to where it just makes like a feel like a mini rim and uh and use that to be able to get up and over um so that, that's it's not it hasn't really been much of an issue honestly um getting up and then going back down the opposite uh artery and and then getting treated what you need to and if any companies want to sponsor us uh marin <laughs> uh, We'll all three go together and be happy to build them catheters if you want. <laughs> well, uh, besides visiting you guys, any other resources for guys out there wanting to start this that you know of? So I think that uh, as far as uh, industry goes, uh, we're on the, uh, both of us are on the uh, teaching faculty for uh, Terumo, Phillips, and Spectronetics, which are the same, and uh, Abbott. So okay. if you use any of those products uh, in your toolbox, uh, you will be able to get to us um, as, uh, you know, as industry does it. Um, 
anytime you want. As far as uh, there's courses all through the year, and if we can help in any way, obviously we we'd love to help. Uh, you know, at least give you another opportunity to treat your CLI patients. So. Yeah, then you know, we occasionally have time to or offer to give presentations at different conferences, and then obviously anyone can contact us at any point. You know, obviously Twitter's a huge part of it, but uh, we're more than happy to always. You know, someone calls with a question, what do we like to use in a certain instance or whatever, we're obviously always there and and, and willing to help in any way we can, so. Well, well cool. Well, um, that's all the questions I had. Do you guys have any clo- anything, any words of the wise, any closing remarks? Yeah, I mean, on, for me, coming as an IR doc, some people are going to be like, why the hell would you join forces, you know, with a vascular surgeon? And I'll be honest, I mean, they're... There's a huge benefit. Like I said, I got to see it firsthand in my fellowship, but I mean, at least it happens every single week where I do an angiogram on a case where I get access and I'm going through and I'm like, you know what? I don't think this is a great endo revast case. Um, I think we're going to end up jeopardizing future bypass options or treatment options. Well, then it's great for me as an IR doc because I've got a guy right here as my partner that we go over cases all the time, go over imaging, say, hey, you know, from a from a surgery standpoint, what would you, you know, what's your, what are your thoughts here? And so I think um, from a patient care standpoint, it's great because there's a lot of places where they don't have that. And so you feel a lot, um, a lot bigger push to be able to, or to go ahead and try fixing someone into vascular because that's, you know, the option that you have. Um, when maybe that may not be the best option. So, um, from, for me anyway, it's been, it's been great. It's been good just to continue to always understand too, what's his, from a surgery point of view, like what's he looking for? What is he, what's he uh, thinking, um, for, for future treatment options also. So. Well, Hey guys, I really appreciate you guys, uh, coming on the podcast. And, um, again, it's, uh, a unique setup you guys have and I, and I hope that we see more of it, more, more collaboration amongst the endovascular specialties in the future. And um, I just wanna, again, thank our audience for tuning in. Um, and also thank you to our sponsor, RadPad. So that about wraps it up, guys. Thanks again. Thank, thank you, you. Man.